just make sure before you do a video meeting, make sure it deserves to be a video meeting. First, ask yourself, this is just information transfer. Should this be an email? Should this be a message in Slack? Should this be a phone call? And if the answer is yes, this really should be a video meeting, then preserve those times for when they truly matter. You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, the podcast for coaches, thought leaders, and change makers who are ready to become the standout expert. If that's you, stay tuned because you're in the right place. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and I want to help you build a successful business sharing your expertise, generate the impact and income you need to create your ideal lifestyle. It's time to make a difference and scale up. Are you ready? Let's enter the lab. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Karen. It's so wonderful to have you joining me today. Oh, Samantha, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to what I'm sure is going to be a fun conversation. Absolutely. Now, you're the author of Suddenly Virtual. We were just having a little chat off air and you were telling me that you started this before the global pandemic even hit. So the universe gave you a huge opening. I'd love you to start by sharing before we dive into your topic today. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came to be here today. Absolutely. So I am the CEO and chief confidence creator of my communications training firm called Speaker Dynamic. And what we do traditionally is teach people how to speak with confidence and impact across any platform. And that could be in person, on camera, or through virtual communication tools. As you can imagine... The last one has been incredibly important and popular over the past year. So really our big focus as of late has been on uh, virtual video communication. So that's how our business basically tripled as a result of a pandemic, which is weird to find like product market fit as a result of the pandemic, but that's kind of what happened. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in saying that, there are a lot of businesses that have been hurt by the pandemic, but there's also so many opportunities. So I think that, you know, the conversation needs to be, well, where are the opportunities? I mean, you have, let's say you were lucky, maybe yes, maybe no, but you were very prepared for something that happened because obviously at the end of March, 2020, we all wound up online and in front of, you know, cameras <laughs> without expecting it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I certainly didn't expect it to happen the way that it did. Right. Let's start off with interaction. I think that this is something that catches a lot of people off, especially in the world of group coaching, consulting, it's trying to get interaction over a camera. Can you tell us how we can start to get more interaction through our webcams? Absolutely. So the book Suddenly Virtual, Making Remote Meetings Work is all about how to get the most out of these virtual meetings, which are truly at the heart of how people are getting business done these days. My co-author is Dr. Joseph Allen, who is the foremost thought leader in meeting science. And so the two of us brought our two areas of expertise together, you know, mine and on-camera communication and his in meeting science uh, to create basically a, a practical guide that has data-based best practices. So one of the big challenges whenever you are using a webcam to conduct meetings or get business done is that you're trying to move people from their default position of passive observer. It's how we've been conditioned to engage with screens. We don't engage. We just watch TV. We watch movies. But now we want people to interact through a screen as active participants. So 
in a virtual world is all about trying to get people to do things. And that can be anything from, you know, just having a dialogue to answering poll questions to, you know, putting things in chat. But one of the differences in being able to be highly effective when communicating through a camera is to recognize what sort of conversation you're having. And that's at the heart of it. When you're talking to somebody face-to-face, it's very obvious that you're having a conversation. You can see people's reactions and you can adjust your delivery accordingly. Whenever you're talking through a webcam, sometimes it feels like we're not talking to anybody at all, right? And so it takes away some of our authenticity. So the first thing I tell people to do is remember that the camera is the conduit to your conversation partner. And you need to focus your energy through that camera lens in order to connect with the person on the other side. Awesome. On that, I find that presenting through a camera is way more exhausting than it is to even present in front of a live audience, which I didn't expect. So back in March last year, when we ran our first virtual conference, I thought it was going to be easier. I switched off my webcam at the end of the day and I was asleep within 30 minutes. Do you have any tips for how to get that authenticity coming out, how to keep that energy up, but still not feel like we've been hit by a Mack truck while we're presenting? (laughs) Well, one of the things that makes it so difficult is the fact that we are seeing ourselves communicate in real time for the first time. And that can be really disconcerting and distracting. So if you find that you are constantly monitoring your own performance, the thing I would immediately do is hide self-view on your video platform. And in Zoom, it's really easy. You click on the three little dots that appear when you hover over your box at the bottom, it'll say hide self-view. And then you take yourself out of the equation. The other thing that can be really difficult is you just can't get a good read on your audience as much as you can whenever you're in person. And I would suspect, Samantha, that you're somebody who kind of feeds off of the energy you get from your audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's hard. Like, so that means that you have to create your own energy whenever you're presenting to a camera. So the one thing I always suggest is try to visualize your viewer. Think about how they might be responding to what you're saying and use that as kind of a substitute for what you would normally be getting if you're face-to-face with those folks. But it can be hard to go through that mental journey and it requires a shift in mindset. 100%. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But one of the challenges too, and this is less about presentations per se, but more about meetings is what I found is there are a lot of folks who are defaulting every human touch point to a video meeting. And you end up with a day that is back to back to back to back video meetings. And being in this space does require a higher level of brain power and energy. Uh, There's a variety of reasons why. One of the ones that my co-author Joe Allen says is that you have to do something called surface acting, which is a kind of emotional labor where you have to always act like you're on if you have your webcam on. So that requires a high level of energy and can easily sap your energy and and make you feel exhausted. So whenever you have back-to-back meetings, you have to do a lot of surface acting in order to appear engaged. And also you're trying to decode the message in full of the people you see on the screen. So you know, the way we communicate is not just with our words, not just with our tone of voice, it's with our bodies as well. And the video allows you to receive some nonverbals, but you don't have as many data points as you would if you were in person. So consequently, you're like trying to read the screen and figuring out exactly how people are conveying their message and what's their true intent. And that 
creates this kind of cycle of constantly trying to figure things out. So all of that creates this additional cognitive burden that makes you feel, as you said, like you were hit by a Mack truck at the end of the day. (laughs) So what I would suggest is like, just make sure before you do a video meeting, make sure it deserves to be a video meeting. You know, first ask yourself, okay, if this is just information transfer, should this be an email? Should this be a message in Slack? Should this be a phone call? And if the answer is yes, this really should be a video meeting, then, you know, preserve those times for when they truly matter. Don't make every single touch point, you know, something that you have to do over Zoom or over Teams or over WebEx, whatever your platform of choice is. That's such a good distinction there. Let's talk about group training because I think, again, there's a lot of people that are listening that are coaches, they do group training. And there is nothing more disconcerting for anyone that's run a training, and you will all know what I'm talking about, when there are people that don't put their webcams on. It is not very fun to run an interaction meeting with webcams off. Right. How do you suggest that we can get, you know, be able to have people put their webcams on? Do you have a strategy around that? There are two things I would suggest. The first is setting expectations before you even begin the training. So in the calendar invite, I would say, you know, include all sorts of information regarding the the agenda. So you get people invested, first of all, in, in what you're presenting and they're better prepared, but also let them know that you plan on turning your webcam on and you would love for them to do the same. And then give the business reasons why you find it valuable. Maybe you say, I just like to be able to put a name with a face, or I find that it makes for a richer experience experience for all of us. You can't mandate that people do it, but you can kind of use that positive peer pressure. (laughs) A lot of times it gets people thinking, hmm, she finds it valuable for those reasons. Okay, well, maybe that might be a reason why I should turn mine on. And maybe that person will reciprocate. So that is one suggestion. The other thing that you can try is once you are actually in the training session, you can actually use the excuse, which is actually valid, of the pandemic to say, you know, one of the things I just really miss as a result of the coronavirus is that I just don't get to see people's faces as much. So would you mind just turning on your webcam quick just so I can see your face? Feel free to turn it back off if you don't feel comfortable. But oftentimes it's like ripping off the Band-Aid and people end up keeping their camera on. So I would try those two strategies and see if that works. But it is really important just to kind of set the expectation, but also you can give them license to turn it off periodically. So what I always say is, If you provide context for the reasons why you're turning the camera off, then it becomes okay. So for example, say that you have somebody who's ringing your doorbell. If you put in chat, hey, I've got to pop off video for a minute because the doorbell just rang, then there's no question about what's going on. But if you don't let people know the reason why you have your video off, then they start to come up with their own hypotheses. And it would be something that's not correct. And haven't we seen some of the most craziest videos of people that have not turned their videos off? I know that we did a podcast episode, it was last year, of some of the crazy things that we've seen. And we're like, how did you even forget that your video was on right now? But doesn't that tell you, like, that's where we are today. I mean, we are interacting on here all day and it is easy to forget. But, you know, I guarantee that you do something embarrassing like that once and you don't do it again. (laughs) Oh, you'll never do it again. (laughs) Absolutely. So let's talk about confidence and showing up on camera because this is your zone of genius. Apart from, you know, the obvious of looking into the camera, what are some tips that you can give us to show up in in a certain way? Yeah. And one of the things that people do 
overlook often is just the importance of paying attention to what I call your personal production value. And that's really how you show up whenever you're on webcam, how you look, how you sound. So there are a couple of areas that I would suggest you focus on and slightly obvious, but also things that are maybe not so obvious whenever you put them into real world. So for example, with your background, you want to make sure that it's uncluttered and without distraction and perhaps with a little bit of depth. So uncluttered, pretty self-explanatory. You don't want to mess behind you. And, and it's not like you have to curate a huge amount of space. You can actually just you know have about five feet that shows behind you and that is enough. I can have total chaos on either side of the screen and you would not know. But just having some space that looks professional and that doesn't have anything in the background that's going to pull focus is really critical. And initial research indicates that people would prefer to see a real world background as opposed to a virtual one. So the time when I would say you can use a virtual background is if you're in, for example, a shared space and you have people who may be walking behind you during your call, during your training, during your coaching session, then putting up a virtual background is preferable to having people traipse across your shot. But I also mentioned depth because sometimes people will just decide, okay, I'm going to take everything out of the picture. I'm going to just sit in front of a blank wall. And if you're right up against a blank wall, you look like you're getting your passport photo taken. <laughs> <laughs> so I would suggest having a couple of feet between you and whatever is behind you. So background is important. This other thing I would really focus on is your lighting and making sure that your face is well lit. And it's not just about you know, making sure that you show up in a way that is flattering. It's more about ensuring that the people on the other side can easily read your facial expressions because Good point. You know, that is the way that people will be able to tell the intent of your message. And as mentioned, you have fewer ways of communicating with your body language in this environment. So the ways that you can communicate and through your nonverbals, you want them to be easily read. So lighting, backgrounds, what about our own persona? Because you're a speaker coach, if I'm right. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the ways that we can conduct ourselves when we're facing a camera? So the best thing to do is to get out of your own head. <laughs> you know, because that's really the big barrier to it all, because what works on camera is your authenticity just you being you. And sometimes people, as soon as you introduce a camera, think about it being a performance. And when you perform, you want to be perfect. And the harder you try to be perfect, the more difficult that becomes. And oftentimes, if you try to be in this presenter mode, then you look fake. And so what I would suggest is just allow yourself to be in this conversation space, not in a presentation performance space, but just talking to somebody across the dinner table. You know, you're very close to your audience, right? You're just the distance from your eyes to your webcam and their screen to their eyes. And that's a huge distinction between presenting through a camera versus talking to an audience in the same room is a conversation. And it's always a conversation of one. So even though you might have a hundred people, a thousand people tuning in, they all feel like you are talking just to them. It's a very intimate conversation. And I experienced this when I was a broadcast journalist, where I would have people come up to me in the grocery store and say, Karen, how are your kids? How's your family? They would knit me baby booties when I was pregnant. Uh, they felt very close to me, like I was a member of the family. And you could think, wow, that's a little bit weird, but actually it reflects the fact that I came into their homes on a regular basis and they felt like I was just a regular visitor to their house. And I was coming individually into their homes. And so respect that intimate conversation and understand the boundaries of it as well. 
That is such a good point because when we're speaking to people, we don't necessarily see how many people are in front of us. It's not like standing on a stage where you get that, you know, you do that panoramic and think, wow, there's all these people. This is just straight in. I'd never really thought about that in the sense of how intimate that can be and how you can feel like you can know that person. That makes perfect sense. And it also can help to relieve some of your anxieties because all of us are pretty comfortable having a conversation with somebody or at least more comfortable than thinking about standing up on a stage and talking to an audience of a thousand. So if you can just allow yourself to mentally stay in that conversation space, then navigating this kind of communication is a whole lot easier. Totally, totally. So what other tips can you give us in regards to holding our meetings virtually? Something that that generally when you say it, most people go, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> We want the under the behind the curtain view of something that's going to be super exciting. Well, I hopefully I've given you some of those nuggets. Totally have. <laughs> what I would say is, is what I would suggest is like think about what we found to be the most successful way of meeting in this environment. And that's to have shorter meetings that are purpose-driven and with the right number of people in the room. So shorter meaning like literally they should never be as long as the ones that you would have in person to respect this whole idea of Zoom fatigue and WebEx weariness, making sure that rather than having an agenda that is full of 10 items, have maybe one or two and actually accomplish them. Come out of the meeting with some action items that can be accomplished and you feel like you're moving the needle as opposed to having a meeting where it begets another meeting because the first one was bad. <laughs> bad meetings create more meetings to clean up the mess, right? But also making sure that you have the right number of people in the room. You know, there was a time in person where you'd maybe say, hey, do you mind just stop, you know, joining us on this meeting just in case. When you do that in a virtual setting, larger meetings become unwieldy really fast. And so what I would suggest is, you know, stick with that five to seven person sweet spot and try not to go out of that unless you're having like an all hands meeting, which is different. Like the kind of meetings that I'm talking about are the ones where you want to get stuff done. You need to collaborate. You need to make decisions. You need to have a dialogue and brainstorm. So that's really critical. And also what I would suggest is making sure if you're the leader that you're a very proactive facilitator because having just an opportunity for everyone to talk all at once doesn't work in a virtual setting. You have to be a facilitator who is going to kind of guide the conversation or else that conversation is going to be really stilted and stunted and not productive. So having that one person that knows that that's their job and that's what they're there to do. Absolutely. And actually, you know, as Joe and I are thinking about the next step moving into the hybrid workforce, which is in all likelihood going to be the way uh, business gets done from here on out, you're going to have an additional burden trying to get everybody to be able to communicate with each other, regardless of where they're located. So maybe you have some people who are co-located in a conference room at headquarters. You have another group located in another conference room in another part of the world. And then you have five people who are showing up virtually. You need all of those people to be talking to each other. So as a leader of this meeting, it's going to be difficult to pull out even participation across the board. And it's going to require a very purposeful approach. So rather than just having like a meeting leader, there might be a new role that's created of a meeting facilitator who doesn't have a stake in the outcome of the meeting, but knows all of the players involved and can kind of ensure that everybody's voice is heard. Because if you're the leader and the decision maker, and you're trying to pull out all of that information from all of those different people, that can be really difficult and be too burdensome for the leader to actually make a decision at the end. 
that's a really, really good point. Obviously, that's why it's in the book. But I'm thinking about having that as a separate person, how much that relieves that person that is trying to do all of the things. Yeah, because think about like, even as you're conducting your own training, there's the technology aspect, there's actually delivering content that's solid, it's listening, active listener, so you can respond appropriately. There are so many different things that you're juggling. And then if you add in the complexity of having people joining from different locations and in different modalities, that's when I think you get to the tipping point where you need to rearrange who is in the room and the roles that they're playing so that you have a productive conversation and meeting as a result. Absolutely. So your book, Suddenly Virtual, Making Remote Meetings Work. Can you please tell the listeners where they can get a copy of this? anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> you can buy books. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, you go to Amazon, you go to Barnes and Noble, you go to and any bookstore, you know, online or in person should have the book available. So, and we're really excited so far. It's been very well received and, you know, hopefully it'll just help people to be able to navigate these meetings because they're not going away. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not going away. And I know that you and I were talking before we hit record that, things will never go back to the way that they were, that we're going to be dealing with hybrid events, hybrid meetings, all sorts of, you know, complexities that we're going to have moving forward. As in-person goes back, now we're going to be navigating both worlds. So at least trying to get a handle on the remote world as we move forward is going to make it just that little bit easier. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing all of the value that you have today. Karen, I very much appreciate it. Oh, Samantha, thank you so much for having me. Today's episode may be over, but let's continue the conversation. Head on over to the Thought Leaders Business Lab community on Facebook and connect with other entrepreneurs who are building and scaling their business too. See you next time in the Thought Leaders Business Lab.